Thank you, Brother Smith. Take your Bibles, take, take, it, take them and turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Just really enjoyed uh, being, a, being able to uh, assist in the war. I really, uh, really enjoyed, most of all, uh, the prayer meetings that we were able to be together in as a church family, praying for the war. I believe that God answered our prayers through the week, seeing the young people come, getting saved. And I remember just personally there praying for specific teens to kind of settle down and pay attention and uh, you know, eradicate the wiggle worms that had gotten into them and, um, and just was watching the Lord do that right, right there as I was praying and just really um, just built my confidence up in what God was doing. And I thank all of you that were able to be there and pray and participate. And, you know, those things, uh, it doesn't happen. It does take time and resources, but most of all, it takes our prayers. And so let's recognize that there were many prayer victories uh, that happened this week. Uh, it took the Holy Spirit and the truth together to work in the heart of a young person. Uh, and Satan was defeated. Uh, we need to remember those things. Um, and I'm glad that so many people just, I know many pray. Some can't always be here on the property. I just want to say thank you for those that just were able to be here and be uh, as a, praying as a church family. And I would encourage you to make the Saturday night prayer part of your, your schedule. I know pastor doesn't push it and he, on purpose, because um, as he said before, it's, it's best to have people that want to be there. So there's no pressure even... From just saying that, just um, God's, God, God works, and uh, it helps me personally and my family to see God answer prayer when we've heard prayers uttered in a prayer meeting out loud, and then you see it manifest on Sunday or Wednesday or through a testimony. That's God, and uh, He's amazing. Well, if you have your Bibles and you're in uh, Philippians chapter 3, let's stand together. We're going to read the first, uh, first 11 verses there, and then we'll get into uh, tonight's message. And so privileged to be able to preach. Thank you, Pastor, and uh, for just letting me have the, have the time in the pulpit. Uh, don't take it for granted. There's many men that could, he could have uh, asked. And uh, so I just thank you, Pastor, for that. Verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write. <clears throat> Let me start over here. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, period, <laughs> to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him. Not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Lord God, thank you for uh, the scripture. Lord, so uh, thankful that we can read it. Would you bless the reading of your word tonight? Would you help us, uh, Lord, understand the message uh, in uh, this portion of scripture? And Lord, you help me tonight. Lord, we, uh, we're casting our dependence upon you even tonight for what you want to accomplish in our church service. We love you and we thank you. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> so just the other day as, uh, as pastor was preaching and not, I, I really lock in on all the sermons. Sometimes I just can't distinguish which one I heard it in, right? But um, I know he's been preaching out of Galatians 2.20 and but just a, it was just through a, maybe a chapel um, service or pastors preaching or just something I'd read. This question just came to me, and I was asking myself, what, what is humility? What does it look like? And I, I know Scripture started coming to mind about how God will exalt those that are humbled and how uh, we humble ourselves before God, and He will lift us up in due season. And all those things came to mind, and I was asking myself, what, is, what does humility look like? Is it an act? Is it... I know it's bowing the knee. We do that in our worship service, and it's on purpose. Why? And, and words came to mind like submitting oneself, and that's true. Uh, behaving submissively before God, that's definitely true. Bowing the knee, falling to the knees, and I would agree with all that. I think we all would agree that that is a good picture of humility. Christ is the epitome of humility. But this one phrase just came to mind as I was reading in my devotion, and it said humility. Properly placing our confidence in God. Properly placing our confidence in God. And I know humility is not where we walk around downtrodden in our, in our physical features. It's an attitude of the heart which would then show itself on the outside. But I'd like to preach to you this, uh, this evening just on this thought, though, about properly placing our confidence in God. And much of what we're going to look at is out of verse 3, out of the, out of the um, scriptures we just read. That Paul writes just four truths, and they come right out of verse 3. Um, try to unpack that for us tonight. But I just want to look at verse 3 again. It says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. You know what that verse tells us right off the bat is we are to rely on what Christ has done. We're not to put any confidence in human effort. We are to rely on what Jesus Christ has done we are not to have confidence in human effort. We are to rely upon what Christ has done. We are not to rely or have confidence in human effort. I said it on purpose for three times. I needed to hear it three times. First, he says, we are the circumcision. And pastors preached on this in the past when he was preaching on uh, the miracle that happened between Abram and, and Sarah. And if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 17, you would read again the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant that God made between himself, God, and a man named Abraham. We read about that. We won't turn there. You can definitely look that up in your time. But in verses 5 and 6, God says this to Abraham. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And then he says in verse 11, Circumcision shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And 
In fact, Paul even mentions the circumcision in verse 5 there of what we read. This is important, what Paul is telling us. He's using, he's using a symbol here to explain to the reader, to the hearer, why, why, why is he bringing this idea of circumcision? If you're taking notes, here's what he's telling them. We're the circumcision, not of a ritual, but of a new identity. It's not a ritual, it's a new identity. See, the, the ritual of circumcision was a token, the Bible says, a distinguishing mark to show outwardly those who belonged to God and those who did not. It was an outward sign of what happened on the inside. And God and Abraham had a binding contract. And this was a way to symbolize that. That forever, that Abraham was in covenant with God. And we know, as we study the Old Testament, God's people did wander from him. God never moved. God kept his end of the covenant, his side of the bargain. His, his, he upheld the contract. And you know it's that way today. What's the most beautiful thing, in my, my opinion, about the relationship you have with God? He's the one that enables you to have the relationship with him. It's amazing. Only God can do that. So there we have Genesis chapter 17. He even tells Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant. After this commandment, God gave Abraham the circumcision instructions. And that's key. Because God, Abraham had followed God already and followed his instructions and obeyed his commandments and had, his, and, and had God's words and, and did his best to obey God's commands. Then later came some instructions on this uh, outward mark, this outward token. Even in that even in that small fact, God is showing through the life of Abraham, it's not a ritual, it's not a work. God was counted, Abraham was counted faithful. And then later, he would have these instructions. It was a way to distinguish between God's people and everyone else. And it was not just for the male children that belonged to the Hebrews, it was a distinguishing mark for any non-Hebrew male, any servant that was purchased. Any male child born into the family. Basically, if I could say it this way, if you resided under Abraham's tent and you were a man or a male, the circumcision was a mark that you would take. And may I just say, it was for really for everyone. It represented the circumcision of the heart. The cutting off of that which was sinful. The cutting, cutting off, being separated and set apart for God. It was a mark, and you can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, God says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. The Lord God will circumcise thine heart, the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. So why does Paul take the time to mention this? He's telling the church at Philippi, he's telling believers today, your identity is in Christ. We're going in this message to why we have no confidence in the flesh. And he's telling us the number one is because you have a true identity, a new identity in Christ. That's why we're to have no confidence in human effort, no confidence in the flesh. We don't need to. We've got a new identity in Christ. You're a new creature. All things, the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We may not have lived like it on Monday, 
But that's who you are. That's who I am. And it doesn't change. It'll never change. The identity we have in Christ is forever. You don't get to opt out of that. I'm grateful for that. God is more concerned with where our heart is than really the physical distinguishing mark. It was just a sign. It was a way to set people apart. May I say today, that distinguishing mark physically really has no bearing today. It's what's happened on the inside. God desires to circumcise the heart of a man. The whole outward ritual was pointing to what God wants to do on the inside. And Paul talks about it again in Romans chapter 4. And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. It was also a sign that just as Christ would come and because of Christ, righteousness could be imputed unto our account, so would men and their sons and they would grow up and their sons and this distinguishing mark, the circumcision would follow them. The act did nothing for their righteousness. In fact, what should have happened, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, was that on the eighth day, like uh, Paul talked about himself, when this event would occur, it should have woken the mamas and the daddies up to say, hey, Abraham, this is a covenant that goes all the way back to Abraham. We ought to be having a home like that today. This, this circumcision event should have been a wake-up call to the people of Israel to say, listen, Abraham obeyed God's commands. He followed God. He didn't have a, a load of instructions. He had a few commandments from God, didn't know where he was going, but he obeyed God and followed God. This is what Paul's trying to tell us, is that this new identity is a sign of, of, of righteousness to your account. Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith before this mark came. As I already said, it did nothing for the child. It was just an, a sign of what should be going on in the heart. That's why the parents went through this ceremony for their male son was to say, we too, we too want to be like Abraham. We too want to obey God's commands. We too want a home that's going to honor God. That's what this was, should have been for. So he's telling us that because of what Paul really, in, in summarizing this about we are the circumcision, what Paul is really telling us is that because of the salvation we have in Christ, not only are we grafted into Abraham's family of faith, we are God's. We are his. We are set apart. We're cut off from this world to live righteously and to live by faith to the one who saved us. Just as the operation of circumcision placed an identifying mark on a man or a boy, in Colossians it tells us that the circumcision made without hands makes us complete in Christ. Colossians chapter 2. This is our identity under the new covenant. Number one, it's a new covenant. It's not a ritual. Or number one, it's a new covenant, not a ritual. Number two, he talks about uh, worshiping God in the spirit. There's no false worship. It's only true worship. There's no false worship. There's only true worship. True worship happens in spirit and in truth. 
Jesus talks to the woman at the well in Samaria and says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know, we can't truly worship God apart from the Holy Spirit of God. And as much as many may attend a church facility and what they call worship may occur, if the Holy Spirit is not present, it's not worship. It's not. Just as salvation is of the Spirit, and Jesus told that to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. Our worship to God includes the Spirit, but it also includes truth. If we're worshiping and, and maybe think that the Holy Spirit's involved, it also means that if truth is involved, then the worship that happens between God and His people is by God's standards and not ours. We worship God in the Spirit, which Paul, I believe, is just making the point here and maybe including that it's understood that it's in, it's in Spirit and in truth. We worship God according to His standards. You can't have one without the other. But there's even more to that. This is probably, a, I know I put the message together. This is part of my favorite. When the word of truth comes by way of the gospel and a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. If I could say it this way, God puts on an engagement ring to the believer. And he makes a promise that one day he's going to redeem the purchased possession. And I understand that we have every, everything in Christ. Ephesians talks about uh, being seated in the heavenlies with Christ as, as if it's already happening right now. And I don't understand it all and I don't know that I need to right now. But I know this, one day, you and I will be free from this body of sin. And the battles and the struggles that it gives us will one day be finished. But it's also a seal with the Holy Spirit of promise because God's made a promise to you, just as He did to Abraham in a covenant, He will complete the work that He has started in us. God, God always finishes what He starts. He's not fickled like you and I are. He doesn't vary. He's not wishy-washy. He doesn't ride the fence. He doesn't waver. There's no shadow of turning, the Bible says. He is 100% committed. He's promised to you personally that He's going to change you into the image of Christ. He will not stop working. He's always working. We're not always surrendering. We're not always yielding as we should. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We worship God in the Spirit because the Spirit's in us. Not only that, the, the Spirit of God gives us wisdom and revelation. Not new revelation, it's already here, but to know Christ. That's what Ephesians says. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Why is it that you can read the Bible and the truth seems to impact your heart and your soul and your devotional time? That's the Holy Spirit of God working in your life and in mine. 
He's wanting to enlighten you. He's wanting to shed new light. Why do the, the, the messages, we can listen to them over and over again. We get something new and different. We read the Bible over and over again. We get something new and different. That's the attribute of the Holy Spirit being the enlightened one who enlightens you. It's not mystical or anything. He's just bringing your attention to it, letting your brain actually do its job and work and connect and experience God and your spirit and your soul be stirred. Sealed. It reminds me of the, you, you men that work with wood, you seal your, your wood, your porch, your deck, that wooden project with probably lacquer, polyurethane, right? And you, you seal it so that Nothing can penetrate it. Nothing can get in. I like to think of it like the wood can't jump out. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Stuff can't get into you and you can't get out. When you get saved, you don't get to opt out of getting the Holy Spirit like an email or a text message today. You get all of Him. And He wants us to surrender all of us to Him. But we get all of God the day we get saved. Jesus Christ is committing committed to changing us and to help us understand the Bible. One author who writes a book titled The Search for Significance, uh, his name is Robert McGee. He had this quote in his book, the moment we receive Christ by faith, we enter into a personal relationship with him. We're united with God in an eternal and inseparable bond. We're bound in an indissoluble union with him as fellow heirs with Christ. We didn't even talk about being heirs with Christ and all that's there for our inheritance. The Holy Spirit has sealed us in that relationship and we are absolutely secure in Christ. Secure in Christ. Secure. You know there's peace when you're secure. You know a little baby when mom has maybe getting ready to put the child down for a nap or to go to sleep. And there's probably a, a routine or a ritual. Maybe it includes a bath. It includes a feeding. It includes a nice clean diaper, fresh clothes. And just all of that together secures the child and they drift off to sleep, at least for a while. Now, Christ may not, well, he does clothe us. He provides for all of our needs but to be absolutely secure in Christ. You know, a lot of us may not live there. Now, some of us may have insecurities. If you're a believer in Christ, we're not to have those. Amen, amen. We're to be secure in Christ. That's where your identity lies. Complete. Holy. Blameless. Above reproach. That's who we are in Christ. Paul's reminding, of the, reminding us of this in verse 3. Lastly, in this uh, uh, true worship in the Spirit, this, this, there's, there's no false worship, there's only true worship, is that when the Holy Spirit resides in us, the requirements of the law are fulfilled. He says in Galatians 5.25, also, if we live in the Spirit, we're to walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. If we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit, and we're not to become conceited. 
If the righteousness of the law be fulfilled in us, this is out of Romans, in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us when we are following after the Spirit. That's amazing. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled. Number three. So we looked at number one, our true identity. Number two, we looked at true worship in Christ or true worship in the Spirit. Number three, he tells us that we rejoice in Christ Jesus. There's no glory in self. There's only glory in the Lord. And look at Philippians uh, verse four. He says that I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man think he has grounds to be confident, Paul says, I have more. That's pretty bold. We won't read the whole list there in verses 5 and 6. Now, this is, this is Paul. This is Paul's resume. You want to meet a man that's very disciplined in his life? You meet Paul. You want to meet a man who's very pious? You meet Paul. Paul even says of himself as touching the law. He even calls himself blameless. That's a pretty bold statement. And if you know anything about the Hebrew laws, they had many. Paul's basically saying, I kept them all. I can't say that. And Paul's not being braggadocious. Paul's just trying to explain to us the kind of man that he was before he met Christ. Even in his disciplined, pious, upright, moral life, Paul fell short of God's perfection that's required for a man to have eternal life. Paul. Paul would be the man that would be a millionaire, billionaire today. He'd be the guy that you walk into his closet, he probably has all the same clothes, wears the same outfit every day. Just make it, he's a minimalist. He simplifies life. He gets the work done. He, does, he cuts to the chase. He's all about the bottom line. He doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste your time. He doesn't waste his. He doesn't waste money. He is, he is frugal. I mean, he is the epitome if I could say this, outside of Christ, of perfection, a man who was blameless. And here's what he says. <laughs> I count it all loss. Damaged. I count it damaged. In fact, he's saying this. I count my life, everything that I would have a reason to be confident in the flesh, I count it a detriment to my Christian walk. It's a detriment. May I ask you this? What is it in your life that's a detriment to your walk? All this is good. Maybe except persecuting the church. That might not be a good one. But he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was an Israelite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was from Benjamin, right? Saul, I think so. All the, all the Bible guys are like, no, it's not. They'll correct me later. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. He was zealous. He went to synagogue every day, memorized the first five books of the Bible, could quote them frontwards and backwards and upside down. He said, all of that is a detriment to my Christian walk. And why is it a detriment? Because if he puts his confidence in that, then he's saying, that's more valuable than having Christ. That's why he counts it as loss. He tells us in verse 8, he says, 
that I count all things but loss for the excellency, the highest value to have the knowledge of Christ, my Lord. That was his highest value, was to have Christ. He's reminding us also of what he wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, no flesh should glory in God's presence. If they're going to glory, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. In studying, I came across a verse, verses in Jeremiah chapter 9, where God, and Paul was repeating what God's commands were. God tells his people in Jeremiah chapter 9, he says, you're not to glory in yourselves. He even says in, I think, verse 25 and 26, he says, there's, a, there's coming a day when I'm going to destroy all those people who glory in themselves. And he begins to name them by, by their country. We're to have no confidence in the flesh. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 24, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 9, 24, he says, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. Notice these words. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight saith the Lord. As if man wants to glory in himself, he's missing the beauty of God. Because God even says, this is the Old Testament, right? Same God. Just so you didn't know, same God in the Old Testament, same God in the New Testament. I exercise loving kindness. I exercise judgment. Everything's going to be right. I exercise righteousness. God says, I delight in showing forth my loving kindness. I delight in judgment, meaning he, set, he sets things right. I delight in righteousness. That's our God. Amen. So we, uh, you can go back and look here at my point number three. I forgot what I called it. We only glory in the Lord. Amen. Lastly, number four might be my longest one. He tells us we're to have no confidence in the flesh. This is where we're landing. No confidence in the flesh, only confidence in Christ. Jeremiah gives us three examples of men who were confident in themselves. The first one he mentions, he says, a wise man confident in his wisdom. Now, I had to fit in the Apostle Peter somewhere. And I know that sometimes we study Peter we may think that he's not wise, but I thought about this. I said, well, Peter walked with Jesus. Many of us didn't walk with Jesus in the flesh. Peter did get commended for God telling him that Jesus was the Son of God, and there was no place to go but Jesus because he had the words of life. And I said, Peter's wise, so I'm going to stick him right here. It makes, otherwise, I'd have a gap in my outline, and I didn't know who else to put in there. But I like, I like this example of Peter. I, it's tragic but it, it, it explains what happens when a man becomes self-confident. It's in Matthew 26. Now I'm paraphrasing here. Peter, a courageous apostle, after hearing Jesus tell the other disciples that they will fall away because of him, because Jesus tells him, he says, the shepherd will be stricken and the sheep of the flock will scatter. And Peter told Jesus, 
If everyone falls away because of you, I won't. I'll never fall away. Even I have to die with you, I will never deny you. We understand Peter's fall after that. He was a man that was very self-confident. He blew it. But we also know how Jesus restored him. Another man that Jeremiah mentions is a man that's confident in his own might, his own strength. I immediately thought of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember, King Nebuchadnezzar's walking around his palace, his kingdom, and he's looking at the, the, the kingdom of Babylon, and he's congratulating himself. Nebi, you did a great job here building these seven, seven gardens, seven wonders of the world, or maybe his kingdom was one of the seven. He did a great job. did a great, great job, pal. And then we know that it's prophesied. You're going to be driven out and live like an animal. And then one day, he says, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And immediately, he was driven away from his throne. His glory went with him. And he lived like an animal for seven years. Had claws like uh, an animal. had, Had hair and thick like feathers. Many believe that it was because of Daniel. Daniel was able to hold off anyone trying to take the throne of Babylon. They believe that he was probably one that kept, kept things going while um, King Nebuchadnezzar was being punished by God. And here's what uh, King Nebuchadnezzar came to in Daniel 5. The Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appointeth over it whom he will. Jeremiah gives us another example of a rich man confident in his riches. The parable of the foolish rich man that Jesus told us in Luke chapter 12. If you remember this man, he's the one that says, I don't have enough storage units for all of my stuff. My barns are full. My storage units are full. My garage is full. Well, everybody's garage is full around here. My garage is full. My carport's full. He says, you know what? I'm going to pull them all down and I'm going to build big ones. And God said, Mr. Rich Man, your life is demanded of you tonight. Many would say he built these things, but when you read the scripture, it's just something he thought. I don't know that he actually got to build them, but he thought it. And the moment he did, and I don't think God was trying to play him as a fool. God called him a fool, but I believe it was just his appointed time to go. And he just happened, that night he happened to have that foolish thought. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be? which thou hast provided. Why is this important to emphasize no confidence in the flesh? Peter, self-confident that he would never deny the Lord. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, confident that he was a mighty man and could not fall. And this rich man, confident in his riches. You know, the, the, the problem was not the wealth, was that he possessed it. It's that his wealth possessed him. And he lived foolishly thinking he had All the time in the world. Physically rich, spiritually poor. He had everything he needed on this earth, but he didn't have God, which means he didn't have anything. He lived as if he had more time. He lived as if he had more time. 
some tonight may live. You may think, you know, we just got more time. We'll take care of this. We'll make these decisions for God. Um, Procrastination can get us all in trouble. But, you know, we're not guaranteed tonight or even tomorrow. On our way home tonight, God could say, Dana, your life is demanded of you tonight. And we aren't sure where this rich man is spending eternity because God called him a fool. We could only guess that he would be in hell for eternity. I just had this thought. You know, our self-confidence can condemn us. We're to have no confidence in the flesh. We're commanded that. Just to let you know how, you know, the, the Bible compares our life to flowers and grass. Some grass... You know, some grass can live for a very long time. I think average lifespan of a blade of grass, very insignificant, by the way, is about 50 days. Some flowers only last about 24 hours. Our life is short. You know, when Paul tells us we're to not have any confidence in the flesh, and I meant to repeat this more, we're to have placed our confidence Properly placing our confidence in God. Properly placing our confidence in God. You see, when when we choose to not place our confidence properly in God, we're saying that God's insignificant, that His Son is uh, smaller than we are. You see, God looks to the man that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, a man that trembles at his word. God pays attention to a man who is humble and lowly, a man who recognizes he is weak and needy. His spirit is maimed, dejected, stricken, smitten. And I really don't mean outwardly as an outward display. I mean, that's his attitude of himself on the inside. He's needy. A good example of this in a picture form, would be Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. You remember Mephibosheth? He's Jonathan's son. David had made a covenant with Jonathan, and he planned to honor that. And as the story goes in David's life, and he's now the king, and he's looking to uh, uh, uphold his end of the covenant, he's looking for Jonathan's son, and they find Mephibosheth, who had, was lame in both his feet because his mother, in a, in a time of panic and haste, ran and somehow fell or fell with him, and he, both his feet don't work. He's lame. He cannot go forward in life on his feet. He's lame. He's very dependent on others to move forward. He had to be carried, most likely, everywhere he needed to go. Someone had to pick him up and carry him wherever he needed to go. So should we be in our spirit. We can't move forward unless God picks us up and carries us. That's properly placing your confidence in God. Paul says, everything to me, everything that was gained to me, I've considered a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. When we place confidence in ourselves, we're stating, Jesus, you're not as valuable as me. You're not as valuable as my thoughts and my views. 
I can do what's necessary for me to be a Christian. I can do that. It's impossible. You know, Philippians talks about joy. I just say this. When I put my confidence in myself, it's impossible for me to rejoice when life doesn't go the way it should. But God wants us to have joy and peace. Paul says, I want to be found in Christ. I don't want to have my own righteousness. I want to have his. He's perfect. I want to know him and his power and his fellowship. Paul was so, so uh, intimate with Christ that he was wanting even to be conformed into the likeness of Christ even in his death. Oftentimes, I'm all about self-preservation most of the time. I still haven't gotten it yet. Paul says, there's no ritual matters. What matters is that you're a new creature. I just want to close this one thought, and then we'll have our invitation. And it's, it's, I'm repeating it again. But our goal, our goal is, yes, to recognize that we're of the circumcision, that our identity is in Christ, and we worship God in the spirit and in truth, and God does that, and God allows us to rejoice in Christ Jesus because there's nothing in us to glory. But this idea of having no confidence in the flesh, really, it, it, it takes on verse 10. To know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, and to be conformed to His death. May we be a people, humble, yes, bowing the knee, yes, falling to the knees, yes, and also properly placing our confidence in God, having no confidence in human effort. Thank you. Let's have our invitation now. I don't know how God spoke to you in this, in this message, uh, but I think just give us a time to respond of this matter of putting our confidence in God and not having any confidence in human effort.